to the Full Circle podcast, Finding Your Way Home. I'm your host, Gillian McMichael. Today, I'm in conversation with Shannon Hood, who is an amazing coach and career expert. Shannon has had a diverse range of experience in her career, and she brings all of that alongside a really healthy approach to helping you find a purposeful career that you believe is your worth. Now, we're talking about how to build self-worth to find that career path with purpose. So why don't you sit back and enjoy the conversation? And I'm sure you're going to get lots of tools, tips, and techniques that you can apply to your career to help you get you where you want to get to. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Full Circle Podcast, Finding Your Way Home. You know me, Gillian McMichael, and Shannon, I'm delighted that you're here today. So I thought what might be quite good is for you to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit more about what you do. But before we do that, we're going to be hopefully talking about today careers and how to find that purpose in the career that you want. And hopefully debunk any myths or anything out there that might be getting in our way to really get in that true connection with our career. And you are the expert in all of this. So welcome to our conversation. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. You're um, welcome. Happy so, to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad. So Shannon, now we've known each other now for a while. We met a long time ago, but we've not seen each other in person for such a long time. So I am thrilled to be having this conversation with you. And you are such an expert in the field of work that you're in, which is all about careers. And we're going to talk a little bit later about your book as well, if that's all right. So why don't you, instead of me talking, why don't I hand the reins over to you and you can tell us a little bit more about you and tell us about what, tell our listeners around what you do and who you are. Well, who am I? Let's see. <laughs> it's a big question it's to begin question with. That, yeah, I always, I always train others on, on how to answer that one and then it gets stumped when I have to answer it. Um I kind of, I think I look at, you know, my own journey and who I am in kind of two big parts. One kind of personal life and the other is the professional. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us kind of separate it, but yet they're very linked, aren't yeah. they? And I think on the personal side, I've always been very drawn to hiking and camping and mm-hmm. skiing and being in the outdoors and having that connection with nature. And having done a lot of volunteer work at soup kitchens and old people's homes and things when I was little, I kind of was always going to be drawn to this area around sustainability. Mm -hmm. And that's my niche. So I do do career coaching, but in the niche of sustainability, what's now somewhat being called in the investment market, ESG, environmental social governance. Wow. Okay. ESG. So that's a a snazzy new Mm -hmm. acronym that we're throwing around. So I think that was always the foundation kind of just of who I am in terms of I was going to be doing something that was going to make somewhat of a difference, have a positive impact on the planet and the communities that I was going to be working in. But yet I always loved business. So I knew I wasn't going to be out there in the field doing conservation work, but I, I always loved business. I used to have a desk in my bedroom when I was a teenager that had like a fake phone. This is before mobile phones, you know, I had a pen and a pad ready to write my notes. And I I think I was always destined to be in business of Mm -hmm. some sort. But I liked this idea of responsible business Mm. and business that did more than than just the bottom line, but created what we call the triple bottom line, which is the environmental, social, Mm -hmm. and financial results. So I've committed the last really more than 20 years now to the sustainability agenda, um, social impact space. And 
within that, I realized I love the whole people agenda mm. and psychology and sociology is what I studied in my university days, then went to business school later. And I wanted to merge everything together. And I think the other thing that wraps around all of me since I was a young girl is the international piece of it and the, the multiculturalism. So I've always kind of chased other cultures and mm. languages and friendships. And the work I do now lets me work cross-culturally um, around the globe, which is really Amazing. exciting. Mm -hmm. And of course now, post-COVID, we're all virtual anyway, but I've actually been working virtually for, for more than 10 years now mm -hmm. in my coaching. So and that's kind of the merging of my personal and professional, I mm. think, to some degree. And that's probably why I feel like work isn't really work. It's just a pleasure because I get to do what I love in the context that I love it with people that are have similar values and, and mission in mm. their lives. I've had what you would probably call a portfolio career. And I think that's what got me to the point where I could help others reinvent themselves and reposition themselves for something different in their mm. careers if they weren't satisfied. And what I mean by portfolio career is basically I used to change jobs every 18 months, which is actually now in the, in the new generations, that's nothing, that's, that's normal, normal mm -hmm. right? But back in the day, um, you know, my dad had a 30 year career, yes. you know, <laughs> you know, the, the previous generation didn't understand why you would jump around so much. Yeah. But I started off in recruitment and because I loved, again, loved people, mm -hmm. but didn't love the sales piece of it, then ended up in accounting and working in a big corporate, which was then called Barclays Global Investors. Mm -hmm. Now it's BlackRock and moved on after my MBA to uh, to be at an international conservation organization called WWF out of mm -hmm. Switzerland. Mm -hmm because I wanted to see how the other side worked. I had done the corporate side, I wanted to see what the NGO side was like. Yeah. And as much as I loved that and got to go to Kenya and do amazing things with them, I was really a corporate girl. So I yeah. went back into the business sector, but doing corporate responsibility consulting for Deloitte and also a couple of boutiques. Mm -hmm. And really loved that because it was a way to work with lots of different organizations and sectors and people in the space that were trying to back then, this is about 15 years ago, really make a difference from the, the profit side. Yeah. And it was still pretty new back then. Now it's mainstream, it's on the front of every newspaper. But back you know, 15, yeah. 20 years ago, this wasn't really a mainstream offering yet. And then on the personal side though, the day I started my job at Deloitte, which was kind of my big corporate, you know, I was going for it. This was like the peak of my career. And they had been a client of mine when I was in a boutique consultancy. And the day I started at Deloitte, I found out I was pregnant, which <laughs> of course is very exciting on one side, but very painful for me and the other. Absolutely. Um, it was gonna take away my energy, obviously, and I had a, a pretty rough pregnancy. So it was a really tough 12, uh, nine months, not 12 months, uh, nine months. <laughs> well, it might um, be unique if yeah. it was 12. <laughs> well, it, it kept going, let me tell you. Um, but yeah, so that was a very challenging experience for me because here I was trying to kind of really advance my career, but also become a mom. Yeah. And I think a lot of us as women struggle, yeah. even once we've been doing it for a while with you know the, the trade-offs that we have yeah. to make to, to stay in our careers. Yeah. I ended up 
deciding not to go back to Deloitte after that pregnancy because I didn't think I could give as much as I wanted to at home mm -hmm. and have such a rigorous, you know, kind of management consulting career, what it was going to require yeah. to do yeah. well in that. Yeah. So that's when I decided, you know, to have some introspection and figure out what I really wanted to do with my yeah. life and how could I merge all of the things I loved into a job. And strangely enough, I figured out that I love to write CVs and resumes. How interesting. And realized yeah. no one else does. <laughs> so I thought, why not? Why not? Mm. And I've been doing it now for 13 years. And wow. it's still one of these tasks that I just love doing. I can't get enough of it. And I find it's just a really good value for others because it's very difficult to do it for yourself. Do you know, so. it is. It's really hard, actually. Yeah, mm. you're right. Everybody mm. finds it difficult. Mm. Yeah. So even me for myself, yeah. it's, you know, I, I need someone else to help me <laughs> to write help mine. You do it. Yeah. So a great uh, service. Yeah. So what's interesting is though, you've had such a rich career up until this point. And I'm wondering that richness of your career and the depth of experience that you had, do you think that helped you in some way to, when you did that reflection and took that moment to pause after the, your first child, kind of what was, what, what was going on for you at that point? Yeah, I think as we kind of get to a point of peak in our careers, sometimes we give too much mm. um, and we don't know our own boundaries. We don't know how to say no in a polite way that we're still going to be respected. And we give and we give and we give yep. until we burn out. And I kind of started to see the, the signs for that right. and wanted to make sure I didn't walk into that trap really. And so ultimately what happened is with my second pregnancy, which came soon thereafter, I ended up having postnatal depression. Mm -hmm. And strangely enough, I had had depression on and off throughout my whole life and had been in therapy and was pretty aware of that yeah. and was surprised that I didn't catch it after my second pregnancy. I didn't notice it in myself. Yeah. And six months in, I had what you could call kind of a a block or a nervous, not a nervous breakdown, but you know, a yeah. block that ended up in hospital. And so at this point I have two young kids under two yeah. and a husband that was at the time working very hard in investment banking and the markets had crashed soon thereafter. And it was, it was a tough time. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for the meltdown that I had because what it allowed me to do was to find meditation Mm. Um, I got a wonderful therapist in London who introduced me to meditation and mindfulness practice. And I know you do a yes, lot I of do. that yeah. professionally mm -hmm. now. And it really changed my life. Yeah. And it's a journey, as we all know. You, you're never, you know, you're never a master of it. But uh, the tools and the practices that mm -hmm. I learned at that time to try to get myself back coming home, as you yes. would say, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, is was absolutely transformational. I'm so grateful. And I think it just shows that in life, when you're really low and you really yeah. have a tough time with whatever it is, it could be rejection on a job. It could be bullying at the office. It could be personal. Yeah. Um, whatever your challenges are, see them as a, as a, as a golden nugget, because they're going to come back around and be part of what makes you stronger and, yeah. um, and more real in some ways. What an amazing piece of advice so early on in the conversation, which I think is genius. Thank you for that. And I, I would absolutely agree with that because that was going to be one of my questions as she was talking. I was kind of wondering, you know, sometimes I don't know whether life just puts us in that, the universe puts us in that place for a reason. I'm not quite sure why that happens. But when we find ourselves in those moments where we are kind of quite low 
some cases it can be rock bottom, you know, and obviously depression after childbirth is really tricky because like you said, you must put, like you said, you didn't catch it. But it's interesting that then allows you then to, I suppose, pivot eventually into perhaps what you've always meant to be doing. Would that be mm. fair to say? Definitely. Meant to be doing and the person that I wanted probably to, to be. be and yeah. I didn't even know it yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel very grateful to have had that crossroads yeah. early, relatively early on in my in my life and career. Yeah. But it sounds like though, with the support from your therapist, the fact that also you then tuned in and dialed into a bit more meditation and mindfulness practices, as as we all know, they can really help make a big big difference when we're on our healing journey to recovery. Absolutely. And again, I mean, I still tap in to mm -hmm. all, you know, I, I do have a daily practice uh, as, as do you. And yeah. I think that that retraining our brains and the neuroplasticity that we know exists is is incredibly empowering. Absolutely. And enabling for all of us when we're in, you know, challenging times in our lives. Absolutely. So tell me then, after all of that, you obviously have said you'd found that you was interested in writing CVs, you loved, and you still do write, love writing CVs and nobody else loves it. So, <laughs> so tell me how you're then, because you then kind of moved into your own entity, is that right? So tell me a little bit more then around that and what happened for you. Yeah, so I had already had two previous businesses in my life. So I always had a niggle of entrepreneurship. I think just having ideas and wanting to kind of run my own show and not do the nine to five and sit in an office. My first was redesigning women's clothing and wardrobes and closets and clearing them out. And yeah. this is, you know, back in the 90s, dates me a bit, but uh, it was before that was trendy or, <laughs> or a normal thing. Um, and I loved just the service of that and helping women to feel more empowered mm. through their through their wardrobes, through their clothes yeah. and how they express themselves mm -hmm. um, to, the, to the wider world. And my second one was... Um, many years later, probably about, well, about 10 years later, I ended up um, leaving that corporate job at Barclays in San Francisco and moving to Patagonia, Chile, where I started an ecotourism company and did that for three years. And then again, went back, you know, got the business degree and, yeah. and went to WWF and then into Deloitte and again realized, okay, I really want to do something for myself. Mm. And I think that the motivation at that time, which many of us have had, I think, during COVID and many of us as women have, yeah. how do we find flexibility yeah. and still be able to make a difference in our, in, in our work and have purpose and Absolutely. make a paycheck? Mm -hmm. And that balance and finding that balance is so um, delicate and sensitive. And you have to be really creative, ultimately, and really believe that it's possible. So I think that was what I stepped back and said, what are the things I love? Well, I loved my sustainability issues and context and working in the environmental sector. I loved people and recruitment and matchmaking and helping others realize their own personal purpose and dreams and potential. And I loved writing these CVs. So, I, you know, it was kind of the writing was on the walls. It was like, <laughs> well, let's try to see if I can put together a, a program, which I guinea pigged and, and trialed through a recruitment agency in London called Acre that I had worked with many years, mm -hmm. both they placed me as well at Deloitte as well as I hired through them. And they let me basically start a career coaching arm for them. And Amazing. so that was the way I kind of did my entree for three years with them and then spun it off as Walk of Life yep. um, after that. Yeah. And it's really, tell me more about the name Walk of Life because I don't know, that rings sustainability, it rings about true to your own journey. So 
tell me what, I mean, how did you come up with that? It's an amazing name for a company. Yeah, well, the funny story was actually I was in, um, of all places, Bali on vacation <laughs> with um, a couple of other friends. We had a big group that had gotten together that year. It was somebody's 40th or something. And um, we were sitting around on our phones saying, well, what, what URLs are available? Because you couldn't start a company name that didn't have the appropriate URL. So we went through many, many, many and came up with, well, what, what are you actually helping people with? Well, you're helping people with what we call your walk of life, which is your career, it is your journey, um, you know, in what you do with your day job. So unfortunately, walkoflife.com was taken, um, but we did walk of life consulting and now it's actually walk of life coaching because yeah. ultimately it's the coaching piece I love. And I'm a professional coach now, yeah. whereas I used to be a more of a consultant. So mm -hmm. I kind of have shifted the brand over the years, but Dire Straits, unfortunately, did have the, the, the URL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had to I do a little... big old, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're not going to get over that one. No, no. <laughs> Unless you've got millions. My theme song, my yeah. theme song. You can have that, the walk of life. Brilliant, yeah. amazing. So obviously, it's interesting because, you know, you talked about helping people believe it's possible to have the career maybe of what they their dreams may be. And you, at 40 by the sounds, you know, decided to change your career and, and, and set up and you know so for me there's something around question and I, I think I know the answer to this but keen to hear your view on it it's never too late right to change your career to embrace what you feel passionate about absolutely I mean it's you know we're not done till we're done right and absolutely and there's lots of different times in our lives our lives that are reflection points right you can have the seven-year itch you can have, you know now it's probably a three given that yeah. the pace of everything is faster but i think yeah i think it's important to constantly be regrouping with yourself and checking in to say you know am i happy am i doing work i love am i making a difference um, am i with the right people are my values aligned to my organization and if you're feeling that any of those are off kilter enough, it might be you know, time to think, what, what, what could I change? And one thing I realized early on about career change is there's a big mistake that many of us make, which is, I'm so miserable at my job, I just wanna do something completely different. So let's just throw in the towel yeah. and start over. Yeah. And unfortunately that can work, mm -hmm. but it usually is a bit too much change all yeah. at once. Mm -hmm. So what I usually say is, let's try to break it down and say, what is it you really aren't liking? Is it the company, the team? Is it the sector, the industry? Is it the sustainability issues you're focused on? Is it the actual role and the skills and the tasks that you're doing? Which piece of that is really not working for yeah. you? And let's change maybe one or two elements at a time and that's what I would call an interim step. So nice. if we're trying to get mm -hmm. to the dream job, defining that together first, but then working backwards to say, can we jump there immediately and really still be marketable? Yeah. Or do we need to take an interim step? And if we take an interim step, what are the two things we need to change right now? And keeping some of what we've done in our past consistent so that we're still marketable. That's really interesting because I'm finding a lot with my clients at the moment that they, a lot of them are just wanting to jump ship completely because they're just overwhelmed. You know, I think a lot of people are on burnout and things like that. And I'm not undervaluing or kind of undermining any of that because it's a huge, huge challenge that a lot of people are facing at the moment. But I think it feels easier to jump ship. But actually what I'm hearing you say is that maybe you need to have some stability as you start to make those changes. 
Yes, because you still have to pay the bills. You do. Right? Mm -hmm. And what can happen is if we jump ship because it's just gotten to be too much yeah. or we're too afraid or we just are tired of fighting it, we end up feeling even more alone and mm -hmm. we don't have any context left that we're working in. And so it becomes somewhat of a, it can become a downward spiral um, mm -hmm. because then we feel like we're an outsider, we're unemployed, we yeah. don't have the paycheck. It can start to spiral quite quickly, depending on each person's yeah. obviously situation. But I always say, let's find a way to ease into it. Mm -hmm. Is there a plan we can make over yeah. six months that gives you that hope that you're gonna get out but we do it strategically and we do it in a way that's still going to support you in terms of your life needs. Do you know, it's so interesting. I wish I would have had you in my earlier career years ago when I used to work in industry. Because, you know, I never thought about that because I think I was most probably one of those people where, you know, you would just jump because you're like, oh, I can't stand it here anymore. I've had enough, right? I need to move on to the next thing. And, and sometimes you're jumping from the frying pan into the fire. You know, it's no better, same problem, just different environment. And I wonder, and that kind of gets me thinking about that sense of sometimes we need to do that inner work, don't we, before we actually really jump into another organization or another big job. Or sometimes we think that moving is going to fix all of our problems, but actually, are we taking those with us? Excellent point. And I think that's the foundation of the course that I've built, yeah. the online course and also my book, Yes, is I break it down into 13 steps. And, and funny enough, most people dive into step nine, yeah. right? So... That's really they, interesting, yeah. isn't it? Uh -huh. Well, they do it naturally, but then they try to also skip. And I said, no, no, you got to do step one through, <laughs> one through eight first. But basically, people think, I don't like my job anymore. I'm going to get on job boards. I'm going to start looking on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I'm going to find something else. Yeah. And that's the worst possible thing you can do first. Because what that means is you're, again, being reactive to the market mm -hmm. rather than being proactive about what is it you really need and want and where do you best fit to meet your own objectives and your own purpose goals. So my course, for instance, doesn't even touch the CV until step eight. Wow. So we spend mm -hmm. seven steps understanding the market, understanding the people, understanding ourselves, knowing what our skills, our values, our traits, our issue areas, what is our purpose, what's our North Star. We do all the deep dive stuff. Yeah in those first seven sessions. And I get people still that call and say, can you just do the CV? Can you just write my CV? And I say, I can't, because I'm not giving you the service mm -hmm. of, of what I want you to ultimately walk away with, which is a new role that you're happier with. Yeah. And it's not just about writing a CV, it's about telling your story. Mm -hmm. And your story is about where are you going next that links to where you've been in the past. And if we can't tell that through the lens of the new audience, because we haven't done the work yet to figure out what is it we really want and who yeah. is our audience, mm -hmm. we're not being very good marketeers. And that's what the no. process really is in the end, is it, it's somewhat of a marketing process. So start so, slower. Yeah. Really interesting. And I, I love that about the idea of telling your story in terms of, you know, we can kind of move on to the next thing, you know, that kind of sense of knowing where you want to go next, but knowing where you've been. I think that's really... A great piece of advice, actually. So tell me the name. Well, tell, I know the name of your book, but tell the audience and the, the, the name of your book so they can get hold of it, too. Yeah, it's called Good Work, How to Build a Career That Makes a Difference in the World. Beautiful. And it's on Amazon.co.uk and also .com. And yes, if you read it, please give me a review and <laughs> email me and tell me how it went. Because um, we it's will. a real, yeah, it's a real... Um, it's a book that's really practical. So I really wanted to get a guide out there to reach people that maybe yeah. couldn't afford my coaching 
and have more scale um, to be able mm-hmm. to help people through this journey. Yeah, and I suppose, and, and, and I think the journey is the word, isn't it? It goes back to walk of life. It goes back to the the journey and to tell your story. So, so throughout this process, now there's obviously loads more things that we're going to talk about around careers in a minute. But, but just around your learnings, because obviously you have been on that journey, you have reinvented yourself, you have found pleasure and a lot of satisfaction in the work that you do. So, what have you learned? along the way that you think our listeners would be interested to hear? I think as a, I'm going to frame it as a woman. Go for um, it. Yeah. You are a woman. I mean, <laughs> it, it applies to men as well. I shouldn't be gender specific necessarily. But as a woman, I feel we have different um, levels of challenges because of the, um, whether it's being a mom or just our roles, our social roles. It's not necessarily only parenthood, right? Our social roles combined with now the pressures to, um, try to get salary parity in the workforce, um, that it's really about knowing how to draw your own boundaries. I mm. think that's really one of the key things. And this can be applied in your social you know, relationships, yep. but also just in what are you physically, mentally, emotionally capable of? What is your kind of threshold? And how do you manage that mm. so that you can stay in flow, we call it, right? Or stay thriving. And I think that magic kind of space that you can define and then try to keep to for yourself is very hard to find in the noise and in the hustle and bustle that we all live in of the pace and the inputs that we're constantly getting. So it goes back to having that quiet time. It doesn't have to be called meditation, but I think we have, each of us need in a day 10 minutes yeah. of solace whether you're just sitting in the in a room you stand in the shower a little longer it's just being present with ourselves mm-hmm. and I, I remember a quote I, I loved when I first started meditating which was if you don't have 10 minutes to meditate a day then you need an hour yeah. you know you've heard that one <laughs> yeah. and I just love that because what it gives back just 10 minutes with yourself whatever that you do, however you want to do that I think lets us reset and reground and yeah. then gives us the courage to go out there and claim our boundaries and also to know well first to know what those boundaries are right which is yeah. is needs boundaries whatever you want to call them and then to be able to go out and claim that um, and hold a space for yourself in this busy yeah. world and I think that's really thank you for sharing that because actually I think that's really critical to anyone's success in this world and day and age because it is so focused on the external so focused on the doing 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 and we never really take that time to pause and to reflect and I think I think that is so crucial to our own well-being but as you said to give us the courage to think about well how can we continue to thrive because I think a lot of us don't thrive I think we most of us are surviving and there's that whole different mindset in there between that when you're surviving it's that kind of scarcity type of mindset where you just you just you've got to just get through it I've got to get through it whereas if you're thriving then your mindset is completely different and that sense of energy and drive and opportunity I suppose that you can see for yourself is certainly much clearer than when you know, in the opposite. Tell me a little bit though around, because obviously there's a great learnings for yourself, but but tell me a little bit around self-worth because I'm talking female, I suppose, gender here around. I, I, I know myself over the years, 
different now that I've got my own business, but actually it's think it has presented itself over the years around that maybe lack of self-worth or lack of belief or yeah, genuinely feeling, am I worthy? Am I good enough? Can I do this? And I know this stats out there to say that guys, men, you know, are much more confident around going for jobs. They might not have the skills, they might not have the full attributes, but yet they'll still go for those roles anyway. But females seem to hold themselves back. They don't they don't have the same confidence or maybe even the same self-worth perhaps. Tell me tell me more of that from your experience. Yes, I'm not sure that the contrast between the men and the women about self-worth is actually the driver okay. for the putting yourself out there in the workforce. I think men oftentimes are maybe more um, focused, more right. ambitious maybe, um, about one thing, right? They can be a little more single-minded in a good way yeah. mm-hmm. towards something. Mm-hmm. Whereas again, I think we've got competing yeah. agendas and interests um, just in the nature of, of who met the difference between men and women. Yeah. So I think there's something about that, but also I think women have been, um, it's not punished, but we get a bit of backlash, and this has been studied, when we overachieve or we overask or we are overly ambitious. You know, there's a, oh, she's, you know, it's one of those types of women. So we get a bad label. And so we haven't been rewarded mm. for asking. And I think that's the salary negotiation yeah. that I teach and also, um, or coach around as well, which is, you know, it's your only chance to really get what you are worth. So why aren't we fighting for that out of the gate before we even get the role? And it's yeah. because we're afraid that if we ask for it, we won't get the role. Yeah. Or we're afraid that they're going to think we're too greedy. So it's a lot of it, I think, is built around what other people are going to think of yeah. us mm-hmm. is what holds us back. Mm. So that's why it's an interesting concept to call it self worth right Mm. because it's really what do we think of ourselves what do we think we're worth i often hear well what am i worth in the market you know what would that employer pay me yes an employer is going to have a certain number or a certain salary range for each role but it might be too low for you and that's okay to walk away from that because that isn't your worth Mm. in a financial sense Then there's the self-worth, which I think links more to imposter syndrome, which is I'm not good enough. Someone else knows more. I need to know more to look like an expert, to have the gravitas in the room. And that one, I think, is almost more deep and more subtle. I hear it all the time with my coaching clients, as I'm sure you do, too, in how we struggle as we're moving up into something a little bigger than us or a little more challenging in our lives, personal or professional you know, am I meant to be here? Do I deserve to Mm -hmm. be here? And I think, again, that goes back to doing the work around knowing yourself, loving, you know, you're going to, this sounds cliche, but it's the loving yourself. It's the accepting Mm -hmm. yourself. And a a mantra that I actually, one of my goals for this year is to wear whatever I want, not think about what anybody else is going to think, Mm -hmm. right? Just And I I downloaded a photo um, on the internet yesterday of these four older women, like in their, you know, 70s or 80s, (laughs) they're dressed all crazy. And I put it up on my vision board and I said, that's it. Just stop caring what other people think and just listen to that inner voice. What do you want? What are you worth to you? 
who do you want to be? What do you want to look like? Yeah. Just listen to self. And that's a tough, I mean, that's a journey. It's a life journey, right? That so. is a life journey, yeah. absolutely. And you know that I've, I've, I've been on that journey <laughs> and I know you, you know you have too. And I think it's not easy to to come to that place. And I, I, so there's two things. I wonder, I don't know, I mean, I, I turned 50 this year and I, I've certainly got more comfortable in my own skin. Uh, and I, I wonder if that's to do with age a little bit and experience most probably. But I do think though that inner work that that ability to take stock and to to do what you've just described i think you don't need to be 50 or 60 to do it you can do that and actually if i if i would have known that in my 20s my goodness i don't even know where i would have been by now you know and so this is is that it's really interesting because it, it doesn't have an age limit right you can just do it anytime absolutely and i was just at lunch with a close friend whose daughter is um, actually at university of edinburgh in her second year and my son who's turning 15 and both of them, we were talking about, but both of them are so self-reflective. Mm-hmm. And they're they're constantly analyzing themselves and going yeah. into themselves. And and it's not always external. We think that this next generation's coming up are all about the external with yeah. the social media and all this. But actually, they're quite introspective. And I wonder if that's coming off the back of our generation because yeah. we kind of learned that, whereas our parents' generation might not have had those tools exactly. yet. Yeah. So I think there's, yeah, I definitely don't think it's, it's going to be age specific at all. No, and it's interesting. It was just my son, he's 20 now. He's at university too. And, and I would say that he's quite sensitive to that reflection and he does ask questions. He invests already in his own coaching. You know, he's been coached a few times already. And, and I think when he's struggling, he knows where to go and what to do, which is, it's quite interesting, isn't it? So it's interesting to see how things pan out with the future generations as we move forward. So obviously your book and the journey that you take your clients on, as you said, there's eight steps to go before we talk about salary. So where do you see that self-worth? Is it the beginning or the middle? Where, mm. where, where is it? Well, funny enough, it's actually at the end. So the confidence shift yeah. that happens, which is one of my in core impact areas, I, I say, if I give you nothing else out of this, it's going to be better confidence. Yeah because we're gonna unpack so much about the beauty of you in a way that's gonna be sellable and marketable. So you're seeing it from within, but you're also gonna externalize it and be able to communicate it and tell that story. Mm -hmm. So where I see my coaching clients really transform is actually after writing the CV. And it's not because they've got the piece of paper that they can then run out to the job boards with. It's because they can then see themselves in a different way because the way we write their story is authentic and it comes to Mm -hmm. life and it has detail and it doesn't sound like a blah, blah CV anymore. But yet it's still professional and it's still in the right format and all of that. But the story that we tell is more authentic and we go deeper and we spend, I probably spend, we do 12 achievement statements on on a CV with four skills as the framework. And it takes us probably 15 to 20 minutes per achievement statement to write that perfect storyline for that one thing we achieved, right? And so it's kind of crafting it in a way that makes people more proud of what they've achieved in the past in those examples that are gonna be relevant for their future. And that makes so much sense, actually, that that kind of light bulb moment will come on at that particular point. But you do have to do the work first, right? 
You have to do that work. Absolutely, which is why we can't write those. Yeah. We can't do that until we've done the deeper dive. Mm -hmm. So you've got to know the North Star. You've got to know the criteria and the, the what you need from this next context. Yeah. It's not, I just need a new job. Yeah. I'm burnt out. It's all those things I mentioned before, yeah, right? Absolutely. What industry, what size organization, where's the location, what kinds of people, how big of a team, what are you really gonna be doing? Are you gonna have a budget? Are you gonna have people under you? Are you gonna you know, be working as a sole trader? There's so many options. Yeah. So we have to map all that out and get that all on a piece of paper because otherwise it just swarms around in our heads yeah. as dreamy. And when we go out to the jobs market, we lose a lot of that. Yeah, we we get sucked clarity. in. Yeah. yeah. So, so the North Star bit, tell me a bit about that. What's so important about that? So again, I think it's about the not being reactive to mm -hmm. the market, not getting pulled into the next job or pulled into a career, but actually taking that time to really deep dive into who are you? What do you love doing? Not what you like doing. Yeah. What love. are you great at? Not what you're good at that people could have you doing for them. Right? So it's these, it's like the hyperboles need to mm -hmm. come out, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What really comes to the top when we start to dig deeper? And that helps you to shape that much better. Mm. And I, I, I like that because it's things that you love, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you're great at, not good. Uh, and I think that makes a big, big difference, a huge difference. I mean, and sometimes people say, but I can't make a job out of that. And I'll say, you absolutely can. Yeah. There is a job for every single thing that you love in the world. There is a job, there is a paid something mm -hmm. to do around everything anyone loves. And so just because it isn't necessarily mainstream or on LinkedIn or, yeah. you know, there's 500 jobs on a job board, that doesn't mean you can't make it happen yeah. or create it. And that's that whole debunking of the myths, isn't it, really? So what other tips do you have around that kind of myth busting? Because it's so easy to get conditioned into that way of thinking and, and that become your, your narrative and your belief system that actually this is, this is the way it should be. So, so ha what other things can you share that might be quite useful for our listeners? Any top yeah, tips? I think, you know, lean away from the jobs boards because if, let's say you're spending 100% of your yep. job search time, 20% of that can be on job boards. The other 80% needs to be about your creative collaborative space. And that mm -hmm. means thinking about different ways that you could create this reality for yourself. And collaborating, meaning you need to go out and talk to people. Yeah. You've got lots of people that know you. You've got lots of people that love you. Go out there and talk to them and say, this is what I think I want to do. Can you brainstorm with me? This is what I have an idea about. What do you think of this? And you just start the conversations mm -hmm. and something presents itself. It is the way to get role, new roles now. It's the way to reinvent yourself. It's through people and it's through being curious and having that creativity. So it's not just, again, CV, just cover letter, job, apply yeah. and get mm -hmm. job. That does not work anymore. Yeah. And I think that's the, the old way that we used to do the, yeah. this, this process, and it, it's just not effective. We've got a whole 60% of roles are never even posted. So you've got something called the hidden jobs market. And the only way to, which means organizations that might have a role that no one else would ever really know about. So again, if you know people on the inside or you start networking and talking to people, you're going to uncover things that you didn't even know were out there. Yeah. And I see that as the biggest block with most of my coaching clients in the careers side of it is that they think it has to be on a job board or it has to be a posted role. And I'd say that's maybe 50% of the roles that might fit for you. The other 50%, you got to go and create them, find them. Mm -hmm. 
I have a tool in my course called the job uh, proposal. So where you're creating your own role and you're right. going to an organization that you are passionate about or you're going to a person that you want to work for and say, let me create a job. Let yeah. me let me come and work for you. Here's what I can do. Do you know, and it seems bonkers actually that we've not been thinking like this for years, you know, that we've not done this before. And I think you're right because, you know, it's just like kind of putting on a pair of shoes that are just a little bit too tight or they just doesn't fit properly. Because when you apply just straight off the job board, it's never really the job that you apply for. Nope. Well, certainly from my experience no. anyway. And there's so much more to it, right? Yeah. It's about the people. Exactly. At the end of the day, you don't quit a job, you quit a boss. Yes. Or you quit a team. Yeah. It's all it's about the, culture the people. And the it's yeah. the culture. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to do the values work really yeah. early on when we do the deep dive around, you know, figuring out who we are. Yeah. It's the values alignment that I think is the most important thing to get right. So let me recap then just so that I can get this right and help everybody else then who's listening. So we're talking about really tuning into your strengths your values, understanding who you are as a person, what you can offer, what you're passionate about, what you feel great about in terms of the things that really interest you. You're also then looking at that sense of, I suppose, really being proactive, aren't you, in many ways, to think about what is it that I want and what can I offer? And it just goes beyond that traditional sense of how we used to apply for jobs. Yep. Wow. And underpinning all that is creativity and yeah. confidence. Yeah. So you've got to have that self-worth to be able to feel like you can go out and be creative and yeah. collaborate. Love those. So that creativity and collaboration. Mm -hmm. You're right. Because without that confidence, you're not going to be knocking on somebody's door, right? No. No. And that's okay. the block. So yeah. we got to get that first. And then, and then you the can go out. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. So what else? Is there anything else that you can share that you think any golden nuggets? I mean, you've got such a wealth of experience? Um, I think one of my, um, well, I'm actually hosting a vision boarding session in a few weeks for a, a networking group I started uh, here in Cambridge. And I feel there's a huge power to setting intentions. Yeah. So I think that's part of this, you know, doing the eight steps before you go out to the market, you know, doing the work first, yeah. but it's about really identifying what you want mm. and being able to state it and put it out there. I know this is going to sound woo woo, but put it out there to the universe. My partner always laughs at me when I say that, but you know, you put yeah. the message out and a vision board is just a fun, you know, visual way to do that. Um, and so I think it's about if I, if there was one piece of advice, it mm -hmm. would be set an intention. Yeah. Lovely. Right. And so you can have more than one intention, mm -hmm. but set, Set an intention, be specific, be clear with yourself what you want, and then tell the universe, tell the people around you. And you'll be really surprised what comes back. One of my favorite books of all time is The Alchemist. Mm, I love it too. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's what actually ended up, that's how I ended up in Patagonia, because I just knew I wasn't wanting to do the corporate thing anymore. I wanted to do something different, you know, and, and that book just helped me launch into that. So you can find different tools that'll help you just get those those ideas and make it happen. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think the vision board and keeping that up to date and just mm. sending out those intentions yeah. would be. I would agree with you. I think the intention setting is really important. And I think it is also the intention of how you want to be in that space or wherever you want to be as well. So you've got the bigger intention, haven't you? Like the vision, but then you've also got how intentional I want to be in it all as well, which I think is lovely. And I remember from my meditation training with uh, Deepak Chopra, you know, there, there was, he always said that when you set your intention, then you need to pay attention to that intention. 
Because when you pay attention to it, it enlivens your intention. So basically, you know, we manifest what what can possibly be. And I think you're absolutely right. I, I love all of what you've shared and it's so useful information, especially as we've now come out of COVID and we're all wanting different things and needing different things now. And I think we've certainly changed and evolved our perspective on things. And I think I would absolutely say, get in touch with Shannon, (laughs) follow the book (laughs) and create your own walk of life. Yeah. Amazing. So thank you, Shannon. So before we finish where, so two things, let's go back to the book. So where can people get hold of your book? First of all, Uh, you can type in good work, and my name, Shannon Howd, into Amazon.com or Amazon.co.uk. And where else can our people find, our listeners find you? How can we get hold of you? And you can hop onto my website. Uh, you can read lots of my blogs and see videos and look at my services there. And that is walkoflifecoaching.com. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights and, and great tips as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Jillian. Well, wow, wow, wow. What an amazing conversation with Shannon. How insightful is all that around careers and how you can manifest your career so that you can have a career on purpose. Just amazing. What I loved about Shannon's conversation was how you need to approach your career like a journey. The fact that you have to focus on what you want, who you are, your values, your strengths. And you do all of that deeper and inner work before you get to that point of applying for new jobs. And actually that you need to be your own source of creativity and collaboration. And I love the fact that you can be creative in all of this process. I really liked when Shannon talked about that that magic space of when you can really start to be thriving in your career. But it's also important to have clear boundaries and to reset and refocus. And there is no age limit. You can do this when you're in your early 20s. You can do this when you're in your 60s. You are the custodian and the the person who is in control of your career. Believe it's possible was something that Shannon said, and it really resonated for me. And if you pay attention to your intentions, then all Shannon and I would say is watch the space because you're in for a very exciting time. So thank you so much for listening to this conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to Shannon and I've got a whole host of tools and tips and techniques that I think I'm going to apply to myself when I hope you can do the same. 